Hi everybody and welcome to my third series of this podcast and in this first episode I'll be speaking to a wonderful chap who I met actually online in a business networking event and we really hit it off a couple of weeks ago and he had some amazing things to say. So Jonathan Radcliffe is an expert in field sales but also he explores a little bit around mindset and finding balance in life. So I thought this was a really interesting dialogue that we had and we thought we'd share it with you. So please enjoy. So seriously, I mean, this is, I mean, seriously, you actually still play football. Yeah. Well, when you say seriously, yes, I am playing (laughs) every Sunday. Hmm. Uh, It's competitive. Let's put it that way. Um, So the background to the tour, as we are known, is that about 20, 20 years ago, a group of fathers were playing um, football during a, a family barbecue. So the kids were very young. They were at primary school. and We started to kick a ball about a bit. And one or two of us could kick it reasonably well. And they said, oh, I really miss playing football. Why don't we start doing it again? So we started off playing and it then became dads and lads, but it needs somebody to organise it every week, you know, book the the pitch, send a newsletter out, gather the subs. And um, that role fell quite quickly to me. And it's something that I'm quite, well, I'm very proud of because this community has evolved to being a real mixture of a variety of different people um, who were all gathered together by their love of football and the camaraderie in the competition. Mm. Um, and we play every week. People have got nicknames. We're called the tour because we go on tour once a year to some international or exotic destination like <coughs> Benidorm, Barcelona or Bognor Regis. Anywhere beginning with B. Anywhere beginning with B, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't have to begin with B. And uh, yeah, we have rituals and fun and laughs, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's something, as I say, I'm really proud of. That's awesome. So, so when you play, do you play eleven aside? Right. So there are about forty-five people on my mailing list, and whoever is available <laughs> turns up. So for the last three weeks, uh, given that this is being recorded on the twentieth of January, for the last three weeks we've had an average of eight aside, which fantastic. is perfect, and we yeah. take a third of a. a all weather pitch yeah. at a local club and just play and then go for a beer afterwards. Um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, so it's great fun and a, a really good community thing to do, one I'm proud brilliant. of. Mm. So squash, tennis, football, anything else? Um, my mountain bike is in the garage, but I'm a <laughs> bit of a fair-weather mountain biker. I'll wait until the weather warms up a little bit. But, yeah, healthy mind, healthy body. I do like to ha- have, you know, nice drink and food. So mm. this is the... The quid pro quo my body says i've got to do the exercise to keep the uh, keep the weight off yeah it's a payoff isn't it there are always payoffs you know you've got to yeah. take the highs and lows haven't you? you've got to get the balance right balance is the key word and i'm sure we'll mm. we'll talk about that as we go through yes indeed so jonathan is this your first podcast um no it's not my first podcast it, it's uh, it's my second one oh, um yeah. But I'm absolutely delighted because you and I hit it off quite quickly. I think yeah. when we, we met on Lunch Club and credit to Lunch Club, if those people who are listening haven't heard about that, it might be worth investigating. Mm. It's good people having good, good conversations about how they might be able to help one another yeah. through either their network or knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I thought we struck it off and I, I was very happy to help you and also to help myself. So, you know, this this is the best sort of promotion in terms of getting to know people and explaining to people hopefully in an interesting way things that might be of relevance to absolutely that lunch club's interesting isn't it because i mean it's done online isn't it and you're kind of you put your profile on there and then you kind of you kind of get selected don't you to meet up with certain people who share similar interests and they might be of assistance service or or just general stimulation around conversations and work practice and it's 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 been really quite refreshing i've got to say i've had some really really great people on it so it's well worth a little a little look isn't it i love the international dimension mm. you know the uk is a, a fascinating economy with our own challenges but uh, 
I guess another, um, another theme that I might be worth exploring is the international dimension of relationships and yeah. business. And some yeah. of the international people that I'm sure we've both met have been fascinating and given a really interesting perspective on countries you'd never no normally have any dialogue with, like Russia or Mexico or Eastern yeah. Europe. Yeah, well, the last lady I spoke to, she was locked in Brazil, in Rio. She'd been there since sort of like 18 months. She couldn't get out. <laughs> I thought there's this worse places to be, isn't there? Not a bad, I was going to say, not a bad place to be. <laughs> She's looking out over Coca Cabana Beach, and I'm thinking, I'm looking out over Watford. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what a contrast. I know, it's funny, isn't it? Brilliant. Okay, right. So tell us about yourself, Jonathan. Tell us your story. Who are you? Where'd you come from? I'm still a black ear. Oh, it's great. It's like being on a game show. Um, so my my background is I am, um, what can I tell you? I was born and brought up in Preston in Lancashire. It's hey. the affinity with uh, football and Everton Football Club. Um, I'm, I'm a supporter, not a fanatic, I suppose, the best way to describe that. Born in the early 60s. Um, and I grew up, my parents were Southerners who moved up north, which was pretty unusual in those yeah. days. Yeah. Um, and I think they found it very difficult in that move. My dad was an architect. My mum was a home a homemaker um, who um, my mum has been my moral moral compass, I guess, mm. in my life. She's been an incredibly strong influence, a positive one. And my dad spent a lot of time working incredibly hard um, then went to school and university. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a young man. <clears throat> so I did a humanities degree at Sheffield Polytechnic, which was fantastic. Yeah. And it was in things like uh, psychology, sociology, linguistics, nonverbal communication, which are classic subjects for somebody who doesn't know what the heck they're going to do <laughs> in later life. But on looking back on it, it was an absolutely perfect degree for somebody who wanted to have a career in sales. Because some of those subjects are, you know, they're at the core of what we do in selling, understanding other people, trying to interpret what they're doing. And this, I suppose, this pursuit of understanding other people has been core to what I have done both in my career and, um, and continues to be of great interest to me. So when I came out with this degree, I was looking around for jobs and large, fast-moving consumer goods companies were interested in recruiting people at that stage. And this is the mid-80s. They were looking for people who had a degree that they could mould to help them with the supermarkets who were their key customers at that time. Highly competitive and they needed bright uh, sponges like me <laughs> to try and help them to achieve what they were, were looking to achieve. So I had a great grounding and training in a variety of different areas in fast moving consumer goods with companies like um, Home Pride Foods, our Rank Hervis McDougall Foods, who are now part of Premier Brands, and uh, Latterly Carlsberg, who were definitely not probably the best company that I worked <laughs> Um, they were the best company for me because they progressed me over the nine years I worked for them from being a trade marketing manager, which was the interface between sales and marketing, mm. to being a sales director and then sales development director, looking after a large team of people and a lot of customers who were free to go wherever they wanted. They were part of the free trade. And what I found in my latter years of working for large organizations was that the sales function was really not very well regarded in terms of training once you got out of large organizations. Mm. And my personal um, crusade, if you like, is that I feel that sales as a function in many companies has people in it that are in there because of their personality and they are left to be there in sales because of that personality and aren't given any formal training. And when they are given some training, it's done in the wrong environment. Sure. Um, yeah, so, that, so that's my passion now, is training up salespeople in the field. And that's my point of difference. I'm the only person that I've come across in the last 15 years of doing management consultancy through sales training. Mm. Um, and I'll explain that phrase a little bit more in a little while. But I'm the only person I've come across who does this in the field and that's the only place I want to do training rather than in a classroom. 
So why did you select just in the field? Why not do the whole? Um, because it's where it works the best. If yeah. you imagine that the analogy I'd give you is it's like um, creating a tailor-made suit for somebody yeah. when you're out in the field, because you can see them in action, their style, their challenges, their strengths and weaknesses, and you can start to put plans together and coach them on a one-to-one -one basis where they're more likely to listen to you and adapt and adopt what you've talked to them about than they would do if you're in a classroom with half a dozen other people who may not have the same challenges, may not have the same issues, may have completely different strengths and are playing a little bit of politics of I don't need to be here type of thing. So it's fascinating for me uh, to do that work in the field and then have the impact that I do on the salespeople that they then bring back to the rest of their careers. It's funny, isn't it? Because just going back to what we were talking about earlier around, say, sport, if you want to be a great tennis player, a great golfer, <laughs> netball, football, whatever, isn't it funny? If you want to be great, you, you always invest in optimising how you think and how you act in that context. So you're always investing in, you know, who, who in the past was the greatest and, and what can I learn from them? And then I need to find a really great coach and they need to feed me all this good brain food to make sure I'm, I'm improving every single day. So my, you know, my ground strokes are better, my serving's better. And so you invest so much time and energy in, in, in crafting yourself to become the best. But then when it goes to business, isn't it funny, leadership, sales, service, we kind of just recruit people and we recruit them on, like you say, their personality. And then we go right off you go. And we expect them to serve aces every single game all the time. And it just it just seems bizarre to me how we don't invest in the same mentality in giving the support and the training and the coaching to these individuals in, say, sales teams, as we, as we would do in our own in our own sport mentality, you know? Yeah, it, it's uh, so it's incredibly frustrating for me um, to see my colleagues, my erstwhile colleagues in sales being left to survive on their own. Yeah. Uh, without the level of support that I think that they need. Um, so that's that's what I try and focus on. Is my target market are managing directors, not sales directors, yes. but managing directors who are frustrated and cannot understand why their field sales force are underperforming. And those managing directors will typically have not come from a sales background themselves, otherwise they would probably understand some of the challenges they're facing, and they need somebody to help them to demystify yeah. What on earth is going on where it matters most out in the field? And that's how I start to then help them to understand a bit more about not only the field salespeople, but also then the culture of the organisation, how clear is the strategy of the company? And yeah. it leads to more consultancy work. So it's fascinating for me. And what do you think is the biggest reason why salespeople aren't successful in the field? That's a really good question. I'm, I'm afraid there are two answers, right? Okay. There are two key reasons. Right? Having spent thousands of hours with hundreds of salespeople, the mm. two commonalities are, firstly, that they don't spend enough time seeing their important customers face-to-face uh, -face or over Zoom or Teams for that matter, right? Yeah. They, their time during the week is spent doing non-productive activities. So that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is when they do go and see those people in a face-to-face -face, uh, environment, again, via Zoom teams or in the field, they are not well enough prepared or structured to achieve the objectives that they need to. So you can imagine that what I do in nine times out of 10 is focus on those two things. I actually, I do a talk about the six things, the six reasons why most sales teams fail. But those are the two key ones. Time spent with customers and the important ones, because you can waste it with mm. irrelevant customers, but the important ones are the ones to spend the time with. And then having a structure and objectives and uh, using that time effectively. So if I give you a brief example of the sorts of things they do sure. to misfire, a salesperson will have a short-term objective or something that I call, you know, they'll pull something out of their metaphorical briefcase to say, I, I want to talk to you about this today. 
So it's a transactional relationship that might be linked to a new product launch, whereas really they need to touch base and ensure that their strategy, they're asking strategic questions before they get to the transactional bit. So the sorts of things I mean are how has COVID-19 affected your business over the last 18 yeah. months? How has that affect, affected routes to market? Uh, what types of products, therefore, are you interested in selling that might lead to the product you've got in your briefcase? But don't go straight to transactional before you've established or reconnected with your clients, which is what many salespeople do. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I guess some companies target people on selling certain products and services, and then they go down that sort of linear route, don't they? Well, I've got a target to sell 20 widgets this month, so I've got to start sort of leveraging that into a conversation. And I guess that's what you're saying. It's it's not really that, is it? It's more about putting that 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 service or product into a, a solution for the client. Very much so. And the salespeople, I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that artificial intelligence is coming into every area of business. At the moment. Oh, yeah. And yeah. sales is is one of those areas as well. Yeah. So if you're a salesperson or a sales director or a managing director listening to this, you need to be thinking, how can my expensive field sales resource genuinely add value to my business and my customers' businesses? And it's through doing some of the things that they should be doing more effectively. So mm. seeing their customers more and then leveraging more out of that relationship by giving more to mm. those customers So through things like market insight, market research, um, how have other people uh, coped with some of the challenges that are affecting your industry now sharing that knowledge and insight and bringing market research back to the office so that their employers can learn from it and adapt accordingly yeah yeah it's a really good point it's kind of it's kind of adding value rather than flogging something to death isn't it exactly. it's very 1980s the sort of that, that that sales approach but now people need a little bit more than that don't they they, they absolutely do, but um, I'm not sure that the sales function in the, in the market that I'm operating in necessarily does that as well as it could do. That's, that's why I make a living. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so talk to us about mindset about, and why yeah. that's so important, why it's a passion of yours. Yeah. I know, I know we talk about mindset a lot, don't we? But um, it is an interesting topic, isn't it? And we talk about balance. We talked about that earlier and how mindset relates to finding balance. So I found that the, the clients that I've worked with and the salespeople that I've worked with, and for my own sanity, uh, getting the mindset right is of fundamental importance. It has to be at the front of this process. So if I give you an example of a company that I won't name, but I was working with three different national account managers in this organization. Right. And um, two of them were open-minded. They said, you don't have a history in this market, but we're open-minded enough to, to listen to what you've got to say, and we'll try some of the techniques that you share with us to see whether or not they work. Brilliant. The third national account manager said, you don't know anything about this market. I've been selling in it for 15 years, and I don't think you can help me whatsoever. So I closed mindset. And this was the first time this had happened to me. And I thought, I'm not too sure what to do about it, but this is what I did. I worked with the two out of the three to generate better sales, better processes, better questions, and we'll maybe come on to mm. questions later on. And as a consequence, they got better results through better under, uh, understanding. What happened there, thereafter was the third national account manager came back to me and said, any chance you could come out with me a week on Thursday? Because I've got this really interesting customer that I'd like to work with. Yeah. And I thought, yes, I've got it. You know, yeah. That's exactly what I wanted. So it's about results. I had to prove to that individual that I was getting the results through his colleagues such that they then wanted to work with me. But it surprised me, challenged me, but taught me a lesson about how not to give up and how to persuade the unpersuadable or the initially unpersuadable. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's fascinating because I have a, a theory and a thought process I want to share with you about success, right? So I think there are three thinking patterns 
facts that help people achieve success. And you can disagree with me. And I, I love a debate where we can disagree <laughs> and still be friends. That's fine. <laughs> but I think the, the three areas are motivation, discipline, and knowledge, right? Yeah. It's the trinity, I, I would call it. So motivation, as we know, is a, a kind of spike in positive energy, positive state management, isn't it? Yeah. And we've all, we've all been to see Anthony Robbins or something similar, or we've, we've read a book and we've gone, Wow, I'm, uh, wow, we'll watch the film and you suddenly get this surge of, yeah, tomorrow what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go and hit the gym 100 times a month and I'm going to go running and I'm going to cut out alcohol and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my partner even more than I ever have done before. And then by Tuesday, that's kind of dropped by about 50% because it is that spike that yes. you, you need that external driver, don't you? And actually, to be truly successful, I think motivation, we have to understand that motivation is limited in its time period, its longevity, and we have to self-generate motivation, regardless of the experience quite often, right? Which then leads to discipline. So for me, discipline is, is more critical than motivation because like I said this morning, you know, I, I did some martial arts training this morning and did I really want to get up early and go to the gym and do some martial arts training? No. Did I do it? Yes. Why did I do it? Because I'm going for my next belt. But I also know that when I get there, I know after experience, after pushing myself to do this over many years, that after 10 minutes, you thoroughly enjoy it. It's just the getting there because, yeah. you know, it's dark, it's cold, you've got to get changed and showered, and you're putting all these things in your head. But people with discipline, they cut all that nonsense out, all that white noise, and they focus on the objective, the outcome that they're looking to achieve. And yeah. I think, you know, they get, you know, Olympic gold medal winners will always do a little bit more than maybe a, a silver or bronze medal winner, maybe just to get the edge, whatever that is. But I think discipline is the key. Uh, and then I think knowledge is the third part is knowledge, wisdom, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's all very well being motivated. It's all very well having discipline, but some people's mental software is outdated. So, you know, you may have got a degree in psychology 30 years ago. My, my mother's a qualified psychologist from 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. And I can talk to her about a lot of things, but there are other things that, that are new, right, by design because of the insights in neuroscience and psychology and mindfulness and mental health that she's left behind, that, that, that she's outdated in many respects, not through intention, just because she's not updated that thinking. And so, again, in sports or in sales or in leadership, if we're running a, a program that's like Windows 1 from 1986, you know, and it's, and it's 2022, you know, it, we're going to be limited, aren't we? So Absolutely. we always have to be on the edge, I think, of thinking and awareness and not just in what we are mastering, but also, you know, I, I, politics, I don't know, trends in fashion or music or just expanding your awareness in all sorts of areas, because they're all sort of connected, aren't they? You know, I think and health and you try to balance lifestyle. I think mindset is all connected to all of that. So those are my that's my theory around the three parts of the trinity of success. I think if you can master those three, especially the discipline and the knowledge, then I think you're probably on a, on a, on a road to success. But quite a lot of people do have these barriers to I know what I know and I'm happy with that. Yeah, I think that's that's very wise. Um, I think the other uh, elements to overlay on some of that is people's image of themselves you know how do how do we see ourselves do we see ourselves as being part of a um growth orientated organization um do we want to be part of that growth or do we want to just stay in one job for a yeah. period of time for whatever the reasons may be i was running um or helping to run a session yesterday with a client <clears throat> and there were a dozen or so people around the table and there were one or two people who just wanted to do the job that they were employed for and mm. didn't particularly contribute to the growth mindset and growth uh, attitude. And that's absolutely fine. Um, so I think because you need some stability within an organisation, if everybody's moving chairs and seats, it becomes something of a nightmare. Yeah, sure. So um, it's interesting to work out who we are and are you know know and understand yourself before then um trying to understand other people because to assume that other people have the same views or goals or mindsets or attitudes is 
to make, you know, make an ass out of yourself mm. if you're not careful. Um, so I think there's an element of that to overlay onto your wisdom, but it, it is strong. So what, why do you think quite a few people have these closed mindsets? But why is it that they're not, why is, it, why is not everyone open and growth mindset orientated? Because to, to us, it would seem a natural, a natural place to live. But I guess they'd look at us and go, why, what? Why don't you just have, that, have the same mindset? So why do you think that's the case? Because we live in an information age and there is so much information out there. Once you start to open yourself up to the fact that you want to learn, it's almost like turning on a turbo that can be draining, frightening, intimidating. That's you know, true, I'm, doing, yeah. I'm doing a course at the moment on uh, uh, mentoring and coaching. It's an yes. Institute of Leadership and Management course. And the books that I could read, well, there are about 30 books. But if I try and read all of those cover to cover and absorb them and understand them, it's going to take me five or so years to do the course, which is not practical or feasible. Yeah. So my point is you have to uh, allocate time and resources to do what is necessary rather than to try and know everything. And um, I think that is probably one of the biggest challenges for people who want to develop themselves. There are so many different people sending them so many different messages about so many different things to do. It can be confusing and tiring and, uh, yeah, frustrating. That's true, actually, because when I was talking about knowledge and wisdom, it's one of the three elements. Some people do get a little bit obsessive about having to know everything about what they're doing before they can even start or before they can even um, contemplate, uh, you know, stepping out into the ring or a tennis court or the sales arena, you know, the, the product, I've got to know everything about this product, but actually good salespeople don't know everything about the product, do they? You know, it's no. not about that because if you don't know something, I mean, how can you possibly know everything about everything? All you have to do is say, look, I'm, I'm not quite sure about the answer to that, but I'll certainly find out for you. And that's just being resourceful, isn't it? You know, Give it a go and be yeah. prepared to fail. You know, that yeah. one of my favourite books is Black Box Thinking. Yeah, brilliant. Um, uh, which is fantastic because it encourages people to make mistakes but learn from them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I talk about that very regularly because in – Many of the businesses that I've worked with and come from, they're about trying to in, enforce perfection to start with, and then they realise that's completely unrealistic. Yeah. So encouraging people to be open about the mistakes that they've made is a, is a far better way forward, I think. Yeah, one of my favourite phrases is progress over perfection. Yeah, nice. Which kind of makes sense, doesn't it, really? Because life's progress, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd find being perfect horrendous, wouldn't you? Imagine being perfect. You'd be constantly attacked, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd constantly be insecure. I think we've both got children, though, so they know that we're far from perfect uh, at any <laughs> stage. Daddy, you said you'd do that, but you've done this. You, you know, you're not, that's not what you said you'd do, you know, so that they ground us, don't they? Yeah, yeah. My, my family certainly ground me, yeah. To the point of hatred, I think. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, so we talk about balance then. So, tell us about balance in life, because I know you, you, you love that phrase. So, tell us about your philosophy on it. Um, I think, <clears throat> you know, I, I firmly believe that I live my life in a balanced way. I've got a. I have now got a balanced relationship. It wasn't always so. And in the early days of me working to get promotion after promotion or to achieve sales director of the year or whatever it was, my life was out of balance. And the great thing about that was that my wife is an equally strong personality and she would tell me that it was out of balance and then show to me why things were not working as they should do as a consequence. So I'd come in after a long week working away three or four nights away and be tired and hungry and irritable. And I was, she needed me to be at my best. She was looking forward to seeing me. So it's those sorts of things that made me realize, actually, I fundamentally need somebody else in my life to support right. me bring me up you know I, I do enjoy being on my own 
um, you know, when my wife goes away for various reasons, it's nice to have a few days on your own and that space is important. But I find that I'm at my happiest when I'm with somebody else who can see and understand uh, what my needs and requirements are, whether or not I need to be lifted or sometimes I need to be brought back down to earth because I'm right. too, too high. Um, so she will do that and I will try and do the same with her. So there's this yin and yang thing and uh, that's worked for us incredibly well. And I think it works well in one's lifestyle as well. You know, I like a drink. I like to eat my food, but I also like to exercise. So mm. I'm never going to go out and uh, be an obsessive on an aspect. I'm going to have a balance in my life of exercise, food, drink, work. The business I'm running at the moment, I'll be frank with you, is a lifestyle business. Yeah, yeah. I only want to work three and a half days a week rather than five days. I've done five plus days a week in other businesses and it's not good for me. I don't need to work yeah more than three and a half days a week so that's what i'll try and do now yeah it's the same i've got to be honest you know thing is i think like i'm guessing that you like what you do i think you love what you do right i love it yeah, yeah. I, I, and i do so there's sometimes where i can work seven days a week and there's some weeks where i work one day a week uh, but the point is i'm i'm a big freedom flexibility person but i'm also a big success and quality person so I have to get the balance right in my life with that. And it's funny, you mentioned earlier about having kids. I actually haven't got kids, but I've got, I've, and I've never been married either. And people think that's a bit weird. You know, what's wrong with you, they'll say. And it's not that at all. It's just that from a young age, I did. It was really weird. I mapped out in my head how I want my life to be and look mm. and, and, ex, and the experiences I wanted. And kids weren't at the top of the list and being married wasn't the top of the list. All yeah. these adventures that I wanted to take were higher than that and so that's the choice that I've made and the balance that I've created because I am I am living a balanced lifestyle but to most people it'd be out of balance because I work harder than most people I probably exercise more than most people and I probably party a little bit more than most people right but but that's fine you know as long as you're not damaging someone or anything then it's all good isn't it it's just people's choices around how they how they want to map out their life Yes. And then and then what they put in that map and then how they how they go about executing the strategy to follow the roadmap that they've created. But actually, I think most people don't even have a map, do they? No, and I don't think I had a map, certainly not in my early days. I've got more of a map now as I come towards the end of my career. But um, that's still probably over the next five to 10 years, uh, an aspiration of what I want to do. Yeah. That's interesting that you're you're not um, married and with yeah. kids. I, I assumed that you were, so my bad on that one, you know, shoot myself down on that, because you you come across as being a very well-balanced person, and I'm thinking, I'd rather interview you now and find out how have you remained so balanced well, without those you people. Can. Go on. Well, so tell me, how do you think you've remained balanced without other people to build you up or maybe you have but they just haven't been a wife or a, a child yeah. yeah I think uh I'm one of my one of my strengths as a character is I don't have fear around meeting new people and engaging with I like finding people who are brilliant at things better than me at anything right mm. so um I love to reach out to those people whether it's in business or like sport fitness health wellness whatever it's going to be um and I love the, I love the absorption of their knowledge and their wisdom. And then I don't overthink things. I filter it very quickly and I give things a go. Because like you said, failure for me is fascinating. I, 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 I love to try things and be really crap at them and then work out how I can be better over a period of time and hopefully excel at it right? Because you can't start something and be really good at it. So I've surrounded myself with some very interesting friends and associates. So, you know, I have, I still keep in touch with some of my friends from, I'm a northerner as well. So I still keep in touch with some of my friends from the Wirral and Liverpool and Cheshire and stuff. And, you know, I learned a lot of NLP from some of my friends there, which kicked me off on that, that route and sporting, you know, tennis, I love and football was again, a northern um aspect but then i've come down south and now it's things like you know health and fitness and wellness and how to run a business successfully and and more mindset development because i 
I like to keep in touch with good people. Yeah. Right. And it's funny you said that your father was an architect. So was mine. Right. Yeah. And and I think being an entrepreneur in architecture has two two elements to it. A, he was hardworking and is quite charismatic. Um, and B, I think it's that it's architecture is made of two things. It's structure and creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think life is about structure and creativity. Wow. And so, you know, you have to build the foundations of what you want your life to be. And yeah. you can't do that until you've mapped out what, what your, the building blocks are, what it's going to look like, right? The yeah. end game, the grand yeah. design of your life. And then you start building the foundations. And once you've got the foundations right, then everything else can fit on top of it, can't it, right? So then you start building it up. And now what I'm doing at my age is kind of, I'm, I'm finding the perfect windowsill or door handle, which is, oh, on LinkedIn, it's an in, like you, you know, we, we, we met up only yeah. recently, but it, it's good to meet interesting, stimulating people that I'm not trying to get anything from anyone because people do that too much in life. It's yeah. just about building a framework of connections and people that you can call on when you need something and they can call on you when you need something Absolutely. and it's not a problem at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just think for me, I think marriage is an outdated concept, but that's just me. And I'm yeah. not disagreeing with anyone who wants to get married because I get it. Yeah. And also with kids now, I'm just questioning whether anyone really would want to bring their kids into this current climate without being a bit mindful around what the future looks like. That's all. You know, and I'm not being doom and gloom. It's just my mindset and my balance of life. Yeah. No, I get that. I, I do get that. I, um, I take my hat off to you for remaining so balanced mm. with your, your strong friendship group that you must have. And I think that's that's probably something else that we have in common, which is that, you know, you work at friendships. Yes, you do. Um, that's right. And it's important to keep on working at those friendships. Yeah, yeah. And we have friends that we still see from 30 and 40 years ago, That's which right. we still, you know, we still enjoy seeing and, and, and hook up with them and have meals or whatever else. And it's it's great. But there is also still room in our lives. And I, I guess it's the same for you as well, for new friends, new ideas, new acquaintances. And so long as they put the effort in, which is balanced with your effort, mm-hmm then, you know, who knows where it might go. That's right. And I think, you know, I totally agree with that. I think an an important element is with clients or relationships, whether partners or whatever, don't fall out with people. You know, I can still, I've got, I've been doing self-employment now for 22 years. I can still speak to some of my first clients, no problem at all, because they become friends of mine. And it's the same with with ex-relationships I can still speak to ex-girlfriends quite easy I don't fall out with them because what's the yeah. point because they've they've built they've, they've taught you something and you've hopefully taught them mm. something and and honestly you know a month down the line you forget anything that's bad you just crack on with what you're trying to plan for your life and the outcomes you're trying to create so I just think it's important not to burn bridges unless they're really serious obviously but most things are fairly trivial when you put it in perspective you know yeah I think we probably both have a um, filtering process to mm. weed out those people whose values are so far removed from ours that we don't want to work with them or yeah. um, want to be, become friends with them. And that's the equivalent in many respects of a sales pipeline. That's right. One of the key Absolutely. fundamentals of, of sales that I've been teaching other people, which is common knowledge for people who've been trained in it, is that is as it's as much the salesperson's responsibility to say no to a prospect as it is for that prospect to say no to the salesperson. Yeah. And, you know, Seth Godin is, who's one of the, my great, um, I'm a big admirer of his. He says, do work right. that matters for people that care. Right. Yeah, that's right. And if, if people don't care or the work doesn't matter, then <laughs> you shouldn't be talking to them. Yeah. And the same is true, I think, in many respects of friendships, you know, have relationships with people that matter and the ones that and people that care as well. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we're both long enough in the tooth to be able to say, actually, I'm not going to get on with this person. Their values is just not interesting enough or, you know, it's a it's of a passing or transactional relationship rather than a longer term one. 
So what other tips have you got for a, a, a budding salesperson who wants to improve? What are the sort of mindset or planning tips, attitudinal tips have you got for people who are trying to hit targets, trying to be successful, trying to make an impression? What would you say to them? I, I would say a knowledge, a thirst for knowledge is of paramount importance. And mm. that knowledge comes in a number of different, different areas. Firstly, it's about the, the company that you're working in and the stories, in particular, the stories that become the culture of that organisation. I'll give you an example of that. I was working a while ago with a, a client that, um, that made saddles, of all things. Here I am speaking to you from the, the Midlands, um, yes. so Walsall is not that far away. And um, I was talking to one of the directors there, and they said, did you know we've made uh, saddles for 18 Olympic champions? Wow. I said, that's amazing. Who else knows about this? He said, mm, nobody, actually. I, I've only <laughs> told you. Really? I thought, oh, my goodness. If, if, if my company had made, you know, saddles for 18 Olympic champions, I think I'd be shouting it from the rooftops and or have, having something on the website or something along those, uh, along those lines. Um, but... Um, yeah, they, they haven't told anybody anything. So the first thing would be absorb yourself in the culture and the stories that have made the company successful in the first place. And then get a, um, a great understanding of the marketplace. Sure. So what's, what's been going on in the market? Uh, what are the trends that are happening? I mentioned artificial intelligence coming yeah. into sales. How is technology having an impact on your market? And then thirdly, and most importantly, get a great knowledge and insight into the clients, the different types of clients, the ones that are ideal for your company. Um, too many businesses try and get clients to stick to them without thinking about whether or not they are the right types of clients. Yeah. Um, so what is your ideal client? What do they look like? What sector are they in? What services are they going to require and, and how can you satisfy their requirements easily? Yeah. And so those are probably the key three things, mm. which is to act like that sponge to start with. That doesn't really get to the key of the next phase, which is how do they become great salespeople? It's, it's by then asking those questions of those customers in such a way that they can learn from them to then identify opportunities. For me, sales is about the identification of opportunities through effective questioning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah? Yeah. So when you've, and your tools therefore as a salesperson are great questions. So when you've got a good question that is going to open up a client and identify some of those opportunities, Write it down, memorize it, use it again and again and build on it to get more and better results and opportunities. And you're, you're right. You said earlier on, learn from other people. So if I were new going into a new organization as a junior salesperson, I'd say to the most successful salesperson, what's the best question you've ever asked one of your clients? Yeah. Just listen to what they say. And the point about telling that story in that way is that great questions deserve the space like a good steak or a good bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. They need time to breathe. And if you've got a great question, ask it and then shut up. <laughs> it's funny. I, I teach a lot about uh, you know, this sort of thing, you know, asking questions, communication, behavior. And, and you know, Pareto's law, the 80-20 rule. Yeah. It's one of the things that people get wrong, the wrong way around, which is, you know, they try and leverage in as much information about a product or service, right? Or telling someone so much. But actually, it's, if you flip it, it's about asking some really good, poignant questions, relevant, important, stimulating questions, and let the other person talk. So it's 20% you and 80% them. Yeah. And there's so much information that you can get from, a, from a, a good question. But then people ask a good question, but then don't listen to the answers. <laughs> Well, I know it's so frustrating. I, when I do the accompaniment with the salespeople, I tend to come out with a sore wrist for the yes. simple reason that I am writing copious notes 
Uh, and I, I feel uncomfortable about, you know, recording the transaction mm. uh, physically on my iPhone or, or Sam, I'm a Samsung rather than an sure. iPhone, but that's, that's digressing. Um, so I, I hand write the notes down to, to ensure that I get the transaction correct. He, he said, she said, and so on and so forth. And I use mm. the key words that they, that they get in that so that I can relay it back to the salesperson at the end of the call. And, um, but it's really important to be able to write down those things because people forget it. They're too yes. busy moving on to the next question and not taking the time to understand what's been said back to them. Totally agree. Yeah, engaged. You've got to be engaged in that moment, haven't you? Whether it's 45 minutes, three hours, whatever it is, just be really focused on that. It's the discipline again, isn't it? Mm. Right, Planning it, thinking about the conversation, going into the conversation, working through it, digesting it, and then what you do afterwards is really important as well, I guess, isn't it? It is, and if you look at it from a buyer's perspective, if a buyer sees a salesperson writing notes down after they've answered a question, um, they're not gonna feel bad about it. No. They don't feel as though the salesperson has lost control or this is no. an awkward pause. They feel flattered that they've actually listened to what they've said. It might be one of the first salespeople to do that. Yes. So, you know, they're going to be flattered. And very often when I'm doing what I do, I'll, I'll take the buyer to one side afterwards and say, was that typical um, of the sort of transaction that you have with your salespeople from this company? Um, and do you mind if I ask you a few questions about how you feel that meeting yeah. went? Yeah. And their feedback is very often invaluable to me as well for the clients mm. and if you think about it from the again the buyer's perspective they want good salespeople to be talking to them because good salespeople understand their needs but if they don't ask the right questions and they don't and you know write down what's required they're never going to get what they want so it's yeah. it's a failure yeah so so with that in mind your your business model we know that it's a lifestyle for you Mm -hmm. I, mean, I know that your business model is specifically the niche area of, of field sales, isn't it? Correct. So, so you talked about maybe building an avatar of your perfect you know, customer. Yeah. What would be your perfect avatar customer? It's that managing director, as I say, of, of five to 100 million pound turnovers, frustrated with their field sales and wants somebody to help demystify why they are underperforming. Um, and that in a and it's regardless of industry. As I say, I've worked in so many diverse industries over the last 16, 17 years. Mm. And I keep learning, but it's the universal sales elements that I focus on rather than the technical ones. So in financial services, where I've been working fairly recently, I have no idea how to write a pension and I have no interest in doing it. That's right. But I have great interest in learning. Um, if I give you an example from that, mm. um, the... One of the financial advisors that I was watching a recording of, that's how I can help them, um, their client said to them, oh, talk to me about cryptocurrencies because I'm, I'm really interested <laughs> in this, right? And the, the wealth manager basically shut them down and said, oh, you don't want to be looking at that. It's a really risky area, unregulated, all of your investments at risk, right? And, and sort of made himself look good yeah. And moved on. And, and my feedback to him was, why did your client ask you about cryptocurrencies? He was like, well, I don't know. Exactly. So seek to understand why. Was it because they wanted more yeah. risk? Mm. Because their son or daughter just made 10 or 15,000 pounds through trading on cryptocurrencies. Sure. Another yeah. opportunity. Or because, you know, whatever. I, and it's that sort of thing that drives me to say, I know nothing about wealth management, but I know about human nature. And that's mm. what this all comes down to. It's just about being curious, isn't it? Yes. Be curious. Yeah, yeah, be curious. Okay. So how do people get in touch with you then, Jonathan? Well, I'd just like to say, Ollie, it's great of you to give me this opportunity. Um, if people do want to get hold of me, then my website is jmrsales.co.uk. Yeah. Um, my surname is rather unusually spelt R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F, ah, without yeah. an E on the end. But Jonathan <laughs> is relatively easy to, to see. So you can see my LinkedIn profile, and I guess 
the, the thing that I'm most proud of is the 50 or probably up to 60 testimonials that I've got yeah. on my LinkedIn profile from Brilliant. happy and satisfied and delighted clients um, over the last 15 years. So that's probably the best way for people to approach me through my website or, yeah, and my telephone number is on there. So it would be great to hear from people if, if I can help them. And I'll, I'll add it to the uh, the podcast series as well, so uh, people can get in touch with you on there with your phone number and your website link, et cetera. So it'll be on there. Um, and also, just finally, I always like to ask people before they go, a final piece of advice, whether it's in sales or mindset or finding balance in life, you know, what would be your final piece of advice for the audience? I thought about this, and it's a really good question to ask. And I think my best piece of advice for people is, linked to their holidays right bizarrely mm -hmm. the best holiday my wife and I ever had was in Cambodia and Vietnam oh wow and we had an opportunity to spend um, 10 days in Cambodia but not in luxury hotels which we could have gone to but with the people of Cambodia and it was absolutely fascinating so my word of advice from the adventures that I've had there is if you get the chance to spend as much time as possible with other people from another culture to learn about their life, it, it, it's incredibly mind broadening, far more so than if we'd just gone to some of the brilliant temples and beautiful sites. Uh, we have a real affinity with Cambodia in particular because of the time we spent with the people out there. So that's my tip. If you get a chance, spend as much time as you can with the natives and go deep with them to get a greater understanding of their life and walk a mile in their shoes. Because it gives you perspective, doesn't it? Very much so. Fantastic. Love that. Thank you very much. Jonathan, been a pleasure as always. We'll catch up soon. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll do another podcast maybe later in the year. Who knows, maybe I'll interview you. Yes. Many questions I want to ask. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm a closed book. No, I'm not really. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look That'd be good. To that. Ollie, Cheers, thank pal. you very much. Thank you for Pleasure. having me. Great to talk to you. And you. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye.